Chapter 15 of The Star Chamber, An Historical Romance, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Star Chamber, Volume 2, by William Harrison Ainsworth. Chapter 15, Clement Lanier's Story. My tale shall be briefly told, said Lanier. You are aware, Sir Francis, that in the pursuit of my avocation I am often led into the most dangerous quarters of the metropolis, and at hours when the peril to any honest man is doubled. Adventures have not unfrequently occurred to me when so circumstanced, and I have been indebted to my right hand and my good sword for deliverance from many a desperate risk. Late one night I chanced to be in the neighborhood of Whitefriars, in a place called the Wilderness, when, hearing cries for help, accompanied by the clash of steel, I rushed towards a narrow court, whence the clatter and vociferations resounded, and perceived by the light of the moon, which fortunately happened to be shining brightly at the time, one man engaged with four others, who were evidently bent upon cutting his throat in order to take his purse. He defended himself gallantly, but the odds were too great, and he must have been speedily slain, for the villains swore with great oaths they would murder him if he continued to resist them. If I had not come to the rescue, I arrived just in time. They were pressing him hard. I struck down the point of a rapier which was within an inch of his breast, gave the swashbuckler who carried it a riposta he did not expect, and sent him off bowling, and then addressed myself to the others with such good effect that in a brief space the stranger and I were alone together. I had been slightly wounded in the fray, but I thought nothing of it, a mere scratch. It seemed something more to the gentleman I had preserved. He expressed great concern for me, and bound his handkerchief round my arm. I was about to depart but he detained me to renew his professions of gratitude for the service I had rendered him, and his earnest wish that he might be able to requite me. From his discourse, and from the texts of scripture he mixed up with it, I knew him to be a Puritan, and I might have supposed him to be a preacher of the gospel had he not carried a sword, and borne himself so manfully in the encounter. However, he left me no doubt on the subject, for he told me he was named Hugh Calvary, and that he had served in the wars with more honor to himself than profit. He added that if the knaves had succeeded in their design and robbed and slain him, they would have deprived his daughter of her sole protector, and, indeed, of all means of sustenance, since the little they had would be lost with him. On hearing this, a thought struck me, and I said to him, You have expressed an earnest desire to requite the service I have just been fortunate enough to render you, and as I am well assured your professions are not idly made, I shall not hesitate to proffer a request to you. "'Ask what you will. If I have it to give, it shall be yours,' he replied. "'You make that promise solemnly, and before heaven?' I said. "'I make it solemnly,' he replied. "'And to prove to you that I mean it to be binding upon me, I will confirm it by an oath upon the Bible.' And as he spoke, he took the sacred volume from his doublet and reverently kissed it. Then I said to him, "'Sir, you have told me you have a daughter, but you have not told me whether she is marriageable or not?' He started at the question, and answered somewhat sternly, "'My daughter has arrived at womanhood, but wherefore the inquiry? Do you seek her hand in marriage?' "'If I did so, would you refuse her to me?' A pause ensued, during which I observed he was struggling with deep emotion, but he replied at last, "'I could not do so after my solemn promise to you, but I pray you not to make the demand.' I then said to him, "'Sir, you cannot lay any restrictions upon me. I shall exact fulfillment of your promise.' your daughter must be mine. Again he seemed to be torn by emotion, and to meditate a refusal, but after a while he suppressed his feelings and replied, My word is plighted, 
she shall be yours. I, though it cost me my life, she shall be yours. He then inquired my name and station, and I gave him a different name from that by which I am known. In fact, I adopted one which chanced to be familiar to him, and which instantly changed his feelings toward me into those of warmest friendship. As you may well suppose, I did not think fit to reveal my odious profession, and though I was unmasked, I contrived so to muffle my hateful visage with my cloak that it was in a great degree concealed from him. After this, I told him that I had no intention of pressing my demand immediately, that I would take my own means of seeing his daughter without her being conscious of my presence, and that I would not intrude upon her in any way without his sanction. I used some other arguments which seemed perfectly to satisfy him, and we separated, he having previously acquainted me that he lived at Tottenham. Not many days elapsed before I found an opportunity of viewing his daughter, and I found her exquisitely beautiful. I had indeed gained a prize, and I resolved that no entreaties on his part or on hers should induce me to abandon my claim. I took care not to be seen by her, being sensible that any impression I might make would be prejudicial to me, and I subsequently learnt from her father that he had not disclosed to her the promise he had been rash enough to make to me. I had an interview with him, the third and last that ever took place between us, on the morning of the day on which he made an attempt upon the life of the king. I rode over to Tottenham, and arrived there before daybreak. My coming was expected, and he himself admitted me by a private door into his garden, and thence into the house. I perceived that his mind was much disturbed, and he told me that he had passed the whole night in prayer. Without acquainting me with his desperate design, I gathered from what he said that he meditated some fearful act, and that he considered his own life in great jeopardy. If he fell, and he anticipated he should fall, he committed his daughter to my care, and he gave me a written injunction wherein, as you will find, his blessing is bestowed upon her for obedience to him, and his curse laid upon her in the event of a breach of duty, commanding her, by all her hopes of happiness hereafter, to fulfill the solemn promise he had made me, provided I should claim her hand within a twelvemonth of his death. The unfortunate man, as you know, died within two days of that interview, having, as I have since ascertained, reiterated the same solemn charge, and in terms equally impressive, to his daughter. A strange story, truly, observed Sir Francis, who had listened attentively to the relation. But though Aveline may consent to be bound by her father's promise to you, I cannot see how lean enforce the claim. Hugh Calvary, when dying, disclosed no name to his daughter, said Sir Giles. There is no name mentioned in the paper confided by him to Lanier, and, possessed of that authority, you will represent the party entitled to make the claim, and can act as Lanier would have acted. "'She will not resist the demand,' said the promoter. "'That I can avouch, for I overheard her declare as much to Sir Jocelyn.' "'If such be the case, I am content,' cried the old usurer. "'Give me the authority,' he added to Lanier. "'I have it with me, Sir Francis,' rejoined the promoter. "'But Sir Giles will explain to you that there is something to be done before I can yield it to you.' "'What does he require?' asked the old usurer, glancing uneasily at his partner." "'Merely all these title-deeds of the Monchensee estates "'in exchange for that paper,' replied Sir Giles. "'Not merely the deeds,' said Lanier, "'but an assignment on your part, Sir Giles, "'and on yours, Sir Francis, "'of all your joint interest in those estates. "'I must have them absolutely secured to me "'and stand precisely as you stand towards them.' "'You shall have all you require,' replied Mompesson. "'Amazement!' exclaimed Sir Francis. "'Can you really mean to relinquish "'this noble property to him, Sir Giles?' I thought I was assigning my share to you, and little dreamed that the whole estates would be made over in this way. 
I have told you, Sir Francis, rejoined the other, that vengeance, ample refined vengeance, cannot be too dearly purchased, and you will now perceive that I am willing to pay as extravagantly as yourself for the gratification of a whim. On no other terms than these would Lanier consent to part with the authority he possesses, which, while it will ensure you the hand of Avalon, will ensure me the keenest revenge upon Sir Jocelyn. I have therefore acceded to his terms. Thou hast got a rare bargain, Lanier, and when the crack-brained Puritan gave thee that paper, he little knew the boon he bestowed upon thee. The exchange would, indeed, seem to be in my favor, Sir Giles, he said, but you may believe me when I say that though I gain these large estates, I would rather have had the damsel. Well, let the business be completed, said Sir Giles, and that it may be so with all dispatch, do you, Lanier, summon Lupo Volp to us. You will find him in his chamber, and bid him bring with him the deed of assignment to you of the Montresea estates, which he has already prepared, and which only requires my signature and that of Sir Francis. I obey you, Sir Giles, replied Lanier, departing on the errand. As soon as they were alone, the old usurer observed to his partner, I am lost in astonishment at what you were about to do, Sir Giles, that I should make a sacrifice for a dainty damsel, whose charms are doubled because she should belong to an enemy, is not surprising. But that you should give up so easily a property you have so long coveted, I confess I cannot understand it. A strange smile crossed the extortioner's countenance. And do you really think I would give it up thus, Sir Francis, he said. But if we sign that deed, tis his. How are you to get it back again? Ask me not how. I have no time for explanation. Recollect what I told you of Osmond Monchency and the possibility of his reappearance. I will not seek to penetrate your scheme, Sir Giles, observed the old usurer, but I would have you beware of Lanier. He is cunning and determined. He will scarcely prove a match for me, I think, observed the extortioner but here he comes. And as he spoke, the promoter again entered the chamber, followed by Lupo Volp, with a parchment under his arm. "'Give me the deed, good Lupo,' said Sir Giles, taking it from him. "'It must be first executed by me. There, and now your signature, Sir Francis,' he added, passing the instrument to him. "'Now thou shalt witness it, Lupo.' "'Tis well, tis well,' he cried, snatching it back again, as soon as the scrivener had finished the attestation." All is done in due form. This deed makes you Lord of Monchensey, Lanier, and he handed it to him. And this makes Sir Francis Mitchell ruler of the destiny of Aveline Calvary, rejoined Lanier, giving a paper to the old usurer. This chest and its contents are yours also, Lanier, pursued Sir Giles, putting in the deeds and locking it. Will it please you to take the key? From this moment we cease to be master and servant, and become equals and friends. "'Equals it may be, Sir Giles,' cried Lanier, drawing himself up to his full height and speaking with great haughtiness, but never friends. "'Ha! What are we, then?' demanded the extortioner fiercely. "'Am I mistaken in you? Take heed. You are yet in my power.' "'Not so, Sir Giles. I have nothing to apprehend from you now,' replied Lanier. "'But you have much to fear from me.' So saying, and placing the parchment within his doublet, he hastily quitted the chamber." Perdition! Have I been outwitted? cried Sir Giles. But he shall not escape me. And rushing after him, he called from the head of the great staircase, What ho! Captain Blutter! And ye, Tom Wooten and Cutting Dick! Let not Lanier go forth. Stay him, and take from him the deed which he hath placed in his doublet. Cut him down, or stab him if he resists. But though efforts were made to obey Sir Giles's commands, the promoter effected his retreat. End of chapter 15